Hello, free thinkers. I'm Mickey Z, and I welcome you to Post Woke, the New York City-based podcast where we practice intellectual self-defense. In order to learn how to change the world, it makes a whole lot of sense to pay close attention to the groups who have made some progress toward that lofty goal. I used to write a lot about activism. I believe I offered some valuable advice on occasion, but predictably, there were always those clamoring for more solutions. Despite that tornado of cognitive dissonance, I will try to provide a productive example of what we should do, in air quotes. For that lesson, I will turn to a group infinitely more effective than anyone in the sign-holding or window-smashing left. Yep, I'm talking about white supremacists. In August 2006, none other than the FBI issued a warning that white supremacist infiltration of law enforcement represented a significant national threat. Think about that. This I said white supremacist infiltration of law enforcement. Multiple incidents, far too many to list here, had prompted the report. For example, a federal court found that members of the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department formed a neo-Nazi gang and habitually terrorized the black community. The Chicago Police Department fired John Burge, a detective with reputed ties to the Ku Klux Klan, after discovering he tortured over 100 black male suspects. The mayor of Cleveland discovered that many of the city police locker rooms were infested with white power graffiti. A Texas Sheriff's Department discovered that two of its deputies were recruiters for the Klan. The FBI warning was issued in 2006, but nothing has been done to address this threat. Meanwhile, between then and 2014, the overall number of known white supremacist groups in the U.S. rose from 149 to nearly 1,000. So picture this. Sometime back in the late 20th century, who wants to bet it was during the Clinton years, a group of powerful white men conjured up and implemented a master plan. It may take some time, they surely realized, but they decided to begin methodically infiltrating law enforcement departments all across God's country. Start with lowly recruits now, and within a decade or two, they would rise to decision-making positions. As their power grew, they could A, lure in returning military veterans, and B, influence lawmakers to allocate funds for increasingly militarized equipment and weapons. By the time something really bad happened, in their eyes that would be a black president in 2008, they'd have enough sway to do things like control what information gets leaked and when. Who knows? All of this might even contribute to getting a powerful kindred spirit into the White House by, say, 2016. Translation, believe it or not, having patience and focus and vision and endurance and solidarity works better than policing pronouns, virtue signaling on social media, and holding hands in the shape of a peace sign. I'll be right back with an even more powerful example of how to change the world. 
Lately, I find myself being often asked some version of this question. Now that COVID is ending, what will you be writing about next? So there's a lot to unpack there as if COVID as a concept is ending because it all it is is a concept. It was a mechanism by which to implement an incredible amount of change in an incredibly short time. So I have no intention of not covering this type of story. And another aspect is why would I stop writing about pandemic-related issues when criminals like Fauci walk around unindicted? There is an easy answer, however, to that commonly asked question I've been facing. And that is that I will be writing more and more and podcasting more and more about topics pertaining to the World Economic Forum, its psychopathic leader, Klaus Schwab, and the whole concept of transhumanism, digital currencies, social credit systems, and so on. Now, for the purposes of this episode, where we're talking about ways in which you can realistically change the world, I will point out that Klaus Schwab came up with a genius, an evil genius idea in 1993 when he created something called the Global Leaders for Tomorrow. It's part of the World Economic Forum. He renamed it in 2004 to Young Global Leaders, and that's what we'll call it from now on. The Young Global Leaders group has been called the most exclusive private social network in the world. But the World Economic Forum, the WEF itself, describes the selected leaders as representing, quote, the voice for the future and the hopes of a new generation, close quote. So to sum up, what, what Schwab and his ilk are doing is identifying early on young up-and-coming leaders in the worlds of politics, business, entertainment, and more, and indoctrinating them into the transhumanist mindset of the World Economic Forum. Now remember, Schwab is the one who said that to, he's speaking to everyone except the elites that by 2030, you will have nothing and you will be happy. Just type that phrase into your nearest search engine if you want more information on that. But for, again, for the purposes of this episode, I'm highlighting how I, I told you about how the white supremacists started at the bottom and infiltrated law enforcement to gain power. What Schwab is doing and the World Economic Forum is doing is identifying leaders at a very young age and pulling them into the transhumanist mindset that by the time they are in power, they are already indoctrinated. And now some of the people, it's a long list, but I'm going to just give you some examples. Some of the people who have been indoctrinated through the young global leaders in American politics includes a congressman from Texas named Daniel Crenshaw, the Secretary of Transportation, who I'm sure you've heard of, Pete Buttigieg, um, a congresswoman from Hawaii, who I'm sure you've heard of, Tulsi Gabbard, and the junior senator from Arkansas, Tom Cotton. In the country of Canada, the people who went through the Young Global Leaders include, among many, the Deputy Prime Minister, the Minister of Immigration, Ref Refugees and Citizenship, and the Minister of Innovation, Science and Industry. Current world leaders who have been indoctrinated by this Young Global Leaders farm team of sorts include the President of France, the Prime Ministers of New Zealand, Belgium, and Finland, the Minister of Foreign Affairs in Germany, the Crown Prince of Norway, the head of the Russian Direct Investment Fund, 
the president of Costa Rica and the deputy director of Ministry of Science and Technology in the People's Republic of China. Within the business world, you have Jimmy Wells, founder of Wikipedia, Rajiv Shah, president of the Rockefeller Center, Peter Thiel, co-founder of PayPal, Chad Hurley, co-founder and CEO of YouTube, and a name that will be very familiar to you, the founder of Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, and another name that should be very familiar to you, the daughter of the ex-president, Ivanka Trump. Some of the pre-programmed luminaries who have their own page profiles on the World Economic Forum website it range from the dictator of Canada, Justin Trudeau, to Bono, lead singer of U2. Now, I will continue talking about this topic and related topics, but for the purposes of this episode, I hope it's clear why I'm bringing this up and, and pairing it up with the white supremacist infiltration of U.S. law enforcement. It's the same concept. It's identifying people early on, indoctrinating them, and guiding them as they rise to power so that once they're in power, they don't need to be influenced or convinced of anything. They have internalized the values of the people who have set them up. Now, who are the people who set up the World Economic Forum? Let me introduce you to a man named Yuval Noah Harari. He's a professor from Israel, but he also is Klaus Schwab's number one advisor. Here's just a small sampling of what Harari sees in our future. He says human beings are now hackable animals. And he said this whole idea that human beings have a soul or spirit and that nobody knows what's happening inside us and that we have free will. This, says Harari, is over. And it will be over if we don't keep our eyes and ears open, educate ourselves, and recognize that we've been lied to and deceived for two years during this fake pandemic as a way of pushing forward this transhumanist agenda. And I want to end up this section because so many people are distracted right now with all their energy focusing on Russia and Ukraine. And Russia is now allegedly the hated enemy of the Western world. Well, in October of 2021, Russia joined a part of the World Economic Forum called the Center for the Fourth Industrial Revolution. And Dmitry Cherenchenko, who is the deputy prime minister of the Russian Federation, said, we are now witnessing an unprecedented breakthrough development. The main purpose of this Center for the Fourth Industrial Revolution in Moscow is to grow awareness of Russia's role as part of the global expert community. This is an opportunity to share experience and expertise gained by the World Economic Forum and its partners around the world. The first projects that Russia planned to launch will be self-driving cars, drones, medicine, and data processing, and they've been actively implementing artificial intelligence technologies over the past few years. Cherenchenko explained that cooperation with the World Economic Forum will be carried out in various areas such as data policy, smart cities, export support, and promotion of Russian IT technologies to foreign markets. So while you have your eyes glued to the television or to social media, believing what's being told about this, this war between Russia and Ukraine, and it, I get it, innocent people are dying, but behind the scenes, Russia is part 
of the World Economic Forum, this new world order, this global government, then they don't care whether you put in a, a, a Ukrainian flag on your Facebook profile. They have an agenda. They're moving forward with it. And they're doing things. Everything that's been done for the past two years has been designed to distract you from what they want to do and are doing. So if you ask me, how do you change the world? Well, I just gave you two examples of the type of patience, vision, foresight, and ruthlessness that it takes to make the type of sustainable change that this world desperately needs. The question now remains, will the people who believe in justice, freedom, equality, and autonomy have these same attributes and be able to come up with an alternative paradigm to challenge this nightmare that is being slowly implemented into our lives. In summary, the World Economic Forum's Young Global Leaders Indoctrination Program has graduates ranging from high-ranking officials in Russia and China to Mark Zuckerberg and Ivanka Trump. Translation, they want us to get caught up in party affiliations or international borders or a wide variety of isms. Meanwhile, they all cooperate behind the scenes to increase their power, their profit, and their influence. I suggest you take the time to re-listen to this podcast or at least the section from the World Economic Forum. This information is may sound fantastical, but it... All you have to do is go to your search engine and type in anything that I said here, and it's easily findable on the World Economic Forum website. They're not hiding what they're doing. So I gave you a lot to research and a lot to ponder. Right now, I'm going to lighten things up with a story of the week right after this word from our sponsor. Hey, Mickey Z here with a few messages before we get back to the show. I'm asking you to become a paid subscriber to Post Woke. To do so, it's very simple. Just go to mickeyz.substack.com. The link is in the show notes. And there, for just $5 a month, less than 17 cents a day, you can support what I'm doing and get a steady flow of podcasts, articles, and other content, including perks that are available only to paid subscribers. So I thank you in advance for making that commitment. It really makes a difference. In addition, if you'll scroll through, scroll through the show notes, you'll see that I have a link in there for the project I do to help homeless women in New York City. Your support is most welcome. There's a link in there for a very cool post-woke podcast t-shirt to let people know what your favorite podcast is. And there's also a link in there for my NFT digital art photography. If you're interested in non-fungible tokens as a collectible, please click that link, check it out, and maybe maybe buy yourself a collectible work of art. So on that note, thank you again. And most importantly, please consider becoming a subscriber at mickeyz.substack.com. And now let's get back to the show. Outside of hanging out with my friends, I never really liked school. But since I was able to do well without much effort, the situation was tolerable. As for my teachers, well, they were always scolding me about my quote-unquote potential. To follow are a few illustrations related to that dynamic. In the third grade, our teacher, Mrs. Barrett, asked us what we wanted to be when we grow up, as if we weren't already something at the time. 
She was writing a list of the answers on the blackboard. After she got a few nurses and firemen, I raised my hand and said, archaeologist. That ground things to a temporary halt. Miss Barrett tried three times to spell it and finally gave up to ask me for help. I didn't see that as unusual, and my classmates appeared equally unmoved. Within two years, however, I was considered to be a major nerd. Being smart just isn't cool when your hormones begin to rain. In the fifth grade, our teacher, Ms. Coughlin, was pushing her agenda on me. Win the St. Patrick's Grammar School Spelling Bee and represent the entire school in a citywide contest. She was sure I could easily outspell even the eighth graders, and she may have been right. What she didn't count on was this. I was way too shy to want all that attention. Plus, winning that contest would have branded me a dork for life. After spelling a few words correctly, she gave me penicillin. I started P-E-N-C-I-L-L, -L, and then I looked her right in the eye and said E instead of I. Ms. Coughlin's face contorted into a mask of shock as I sat down with a self-satisfied smirk. Catastrophe averted. By the eighth grade, the tables had turned. I was a major player in the cool crowd, and my brains now came in handy as I let my crew cheat off of me during every test. They reveled in having a friend who could hang with them and still get straight A's. My favorite teacher that year, the late Sister Barbara, also drilled me about my potential more than anyone, but I could also tell my style kind of amused her. Case in point. She had left the classroom for a few minutes. We were supposed to be doing some kind of assignment, but somehow most of the class became engaged in a debate about the correct spelling of the word whore. In those days, New York City street urchins pronounced the word as whoa. So you can imagine the wide range of misspellings. Eventually they turned to me. I had my back to the door as I sat on the desk part of my desk. It's actually W. H-O-R-E, I loudly proclaimed. I could tell from my friend's mischievous grins that Sister Barbara had re-entered the room. I heard her before I saw her. Giving out free spelling lessons, Mr. Zazima? As the room burst into laughter, I turned, flashed my dimples, and replied, Well, you weren't here, and they needed help. Sister Barbara suppressed a grin. I'm glad I can count on you. Now please sit properly in your chair. In the 10th grade, it wasn't my spelling skills that caused the schoolroom ruckus. But since my classmates often relied on me to play the role of outsmarting the teachers, I did not let them down. For example, Miss Winters, my English teacher upon whom I had quite a crush, grew frustrated with me not paying attention but still getting A's. One day she cracked and yelled, I suppose you think you could teach this class. I shrugged but she insisted. So I got up and taught the lesson. I called on kids, wrote stuff on the board, and announced that there would be no homework that night. The bell rang, Miss Winters fumed, but she got her revenge, twice. First, she gave me a 99 instead of 100 on my report card that semester, citing behavioral issues. Her second form of revenge took place at Madison Square Garden. Miss Winters' brother was Brian Winters, the shooting guard for the Milwaukee Bucks at the time. 
When his team came to town to play the Knicks, he gave a batch of tickets to his sister to give out to her favorite students, including yours truly. During the pregame shoot-around, we all went down to the court for a chance to meet Brian. After shaking my hand, he loomed over me with his giant basketball frame and warned, you better not be giving my sister a hard time. I stammered a reply, and everyone, especially Miss Winters, had a chuckle at my expense. My teacher, I quickly realized, had set me up, and no one had to spell that out for me. And I'm sure by now I don't need to spell this out to you either. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for sharing the links. And thank you for keeping your guard up. Yeah.